0: Nerd Appropriate presents exclusive coverage of the Bioware base recorded live at PAX East 2013.
1: Welcome to the Rated NA podcast for the website nerdappropriate.com. This is the fifth in the series of uh, BioWare panels from the BioWare base at PAX East 2013. And this one includes what I will now consider one of my best friends, according to the picture on my phone. Hillary, why don't you tell us who that is and what the panel is?
0: Oh, I'm super excited to talk about this. Um, this is this was actually my 100% favorite panel um, that happened at the BioWare base at PAX East. So, Raphael Sabarge, who's now your best friend, apparently. Yes, he is. Yes, who is an amazing, amazing guy. Um, He happened to be on this panel and gave gave the audience kind of a peek into what happens behind the scenes in voice acting. So he actually read the stage direction from the VO producer to him that basically said this is the last voice over session for Caden. And it was kind of a really cool moment. There was not seriously, not one dry eye in, in the room. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. Um, a lot of reverence was paid to Commander Shepard. And I think you guys will really like it. So um, yeah, this is a great, great piece of panel content. So I'm super excited to bring it to you guys.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's super heartfelt. And you can, you can definitely feel the feels coming through your earphones as you <laughs> as you Lots listen to Lots of feels in this particular panel. But um, I mean, you can tell too, because the thing you have to keep in mind is that this was recorded on Sunday. And on Saturday, they did the main stage panel, which had a overwhelming response from, um, from, from the main hall, which was completely full. So um, definitely a lot of emotion in this panel. and And it's a great discussion. All right. Well, if you guys want to find out more about us or if you want to subscribe to our podcast and actually get the rest of these uh, Mass Effect Bioware base panels, uh, just hit that subscribe button and then you will get everything for absolutely free. Uh, If you want to talk to us and uh, follow us on Twitter, we're highly active on Twitter. You can find us at NerdAppropriate on Twitter. Uh, If you want to email us directly and chat with us, uh, it's Ash, Matt, Hillary, 1L, or Scott at NerdAppropriate.com. And enjoy.
1: Yeah, this is Mass Effect Exploring the Universe with Raphael Sabarge.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Hi everyone, thank you very much for joining us here at the BioWare Base. Coming up right now, we have our Mass Effect team and very special guest, Mr. Raphael Sabars, the voice actor for Kate Melenko. I'm going to turn it over to the community news producer, Ryan
4: Warden, for introductions. Ryan, it's all yours. Oh, hi. Good morning. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> hi. Oh, this is good. The, uh, the energy level is a little bit higher than the, uh, the uh, how to get a job at Bioware presentation where, I mean, clearly nobody wanted a job. <laughs> <laughs> so this is nice to see. Uh, we have uh, to my left and uh, to your right, uh, Preston Watamanyuk, uh who is uh, our uh, creative director. Lead designer. Lead designer. <laughs> <laughs> Just the lead designer, right. right? And actually, you know what? Uh, so that I don't butcher this uh, further, uh, how about everybody introduce themselves? Sure. Right. So
3: uh, I'm Parrish Lay. I'm the lead uh, cinematic animator for Mass Effect.
4: Uh,
5: <laughs> I'm Dusty Everman. I'm a senior level designer on the Mass Effect trilogy, known for the Normandy. <laughs>
6: I'm John Dombrow, is a senior writer on
7: Mass Effect Three, <laughs> and I'm Raphael Spar. Hi, I play Caden.
4: All right, so uh, I want to keep this uh, actually pretty light because uh, we keep running out of time for uh, people's questions. So we'll just ask a couple of quick questions for the panel, and then we'll turn this over to you guys. So, uh, dear panelists, uh, who is a minor NPC? from the mass effect trilogy uh, that you really love and why so uh my favorite MP- minor npc is blasto <laughs> uh
8: the reason why is that uh it, it kind of got snuck in in mass effect 2 uh and i got to i got to experience blasto the same way you guys did i was doing a test playthrough of the hub came across it and then this Really funny dialogue started playing over the PA, and I just sort of stopped and started listening to it. and I was like, "Wow, that is awesome!" And I, I was just sitting at my desk with the headphones on, laughing. And I'm super happy that they put them into Mass Effect Three as well. So it was nice because I got to experience it like you guys. So my I'll favorite.
3: Be the web series. <laughs> <laughs> A full game. I, uh, I think. Okay, so for me, I think uh, it would be Fist. <laughs> you remember Fist? won. He was flat top. Uh, uh, I just thought he was a yeah. He was. I don't know. I, I enjoyed seeing him. I, for whatever reason, I was in the game a lot around where his where his sort of story arc uh, was. So I, I always, I always got a fond spot for Fist. Also, for whatever reason, we kept carrying those plot states for Fist over, and it's one of those weird plot states where. Because we have this big laundry list of 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 plots, and sometimes it's hard to know, you know, what's what plots you want to kind of carry forward. So in ME one, we flag this fist plot, and for the rest, like ME two, ME three, whenever I'd be going through the plot states to start hooking things up, I'd run across like the fist plot state. I was like, oh yeah, man, I remember Fist. He was a good guy. So So does
8: (laughs) does everyone in uh, ME three? There's a section where you're fighting through the citadel, uh, and you kind of go through some uh, back. Back area, whatever, and there's a skeleton sitting there. That's fist.
7: <laughs>
8: if if you didn't kill him, he's just been hiding out. He was, we were supposed to make that more. The the designer didn't put in the stuff uh, to to point point at that.
5: But basically, that was supposed to be fist. Uh, so my answer is a little bit self centered, but uh, it'd be Doctor Chakwas. Uh, we, you know, you start anyone, and and there's Joker and Caden. And then you walk down and uh, there's, there's Chakwas and, and Jenkins, good old Jenkins, and it's like so early, and she's, she always felt to me like the, the mother of the Normandy. And early on in ME2, when we were designing the, the end of ME2, um, we had this different kind of story that was kind of happening and, and Dr. Chakwas was a part of that. Um, it was like, cool, great. And then things got all you know, rewritten and reworked and that all got cut. So then there was no Dr. Chakwas in ME2. So I went to Drew, and I'm like, Drew, can can I put her on the Normandy? Because the Normandy, Cerberus vessel, sr two, Remy two, and so. And then I was also like, Ca- can I ride her? <laughs> and, he was, and he was like, yeah. And he gave me some mentorship. So uh, yeah, I'm really glad we had her for the next two games.
3: <laughs> and and was so was uh, was Jenkins named after? Leroy Jenkins. You know, he, he revealed
8: now. So people make that association, but I I didn't do that. So I don't know. Like, maybe the designer that named him did that. But it, for me, there was no, there is no, sorry, there is no association between Leo, Leroy Jenkins and, uh, and Jenkins that I know of, that I know of. Like I said, it, it may have been like a, an in-joke for the designer who built him. Because I didn't, I didn't even find out about Leroy Jenkins, like, you know, a lot more into development. So they might have just sort of snuck one, that, that one by me, and then later
6: on... I just didn't make the connection. So, <laughs> uh, For me, I think I'd have to agree with Preston on Blasto. Um, that was a creation of Patrick Weeks, one of our other writers. And throughout ME3, he's writing the, the trailers he does for the, the Blasto movies you hear about, and that was always something to look forward to um, when he'd finish those. And I kept wanting to meet Blasto, but ME3 wasn't really the appropriate game to do it. But when we decided Citadel DLC would be a lighter, funnier pack... I saw my chance, and I went to him and I said, I'd like Javik to meet Blasto. Please let me write the scene, Patrick. And he was cool with it. So that was sort of my own way. That was my my wish fulfillment of being able to have Javik be on the set of a Blasto movie and have all that crazy insanity happening. Um, So not only my favorite NPC, but I guess I got to end the series on, on actually sending him off. So that was a lot of fun.
7: I, um, I'm not sure what to say. <laughs> it's Caden. Uh, it's Caden. Caden. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I I know that I did some other sort of uh, voices along the way, which were fun. So sort of like the Paladin, I think I did a Paladin. Um, and, um, I, and I can't remember the names of all the other ones. Yeah. Uh,
4: for me, it is uh, Gianna Parasini. I am I'm a really big fan. Uh, there just always seemed to be... a. Subtext there that uh, that I just wasn't fully uh, picking up on. I don't know if there were dialogue lines that got cut, or I don't quite know what the what the story was there. But every time that I speak to Gian and Parasini, I just get the sense of like, there, there's just something. There's an undercurrent of something more, and uh, I I love that. I think that's fantastic. What about Conrad? <laughs> oh yeah, Verner, that's Yeah, a good yeah. Good. Actually, yeah. Conrad Conrad Berner is. Uh, a really good one.
8: So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. <laughs> I'm not going to be popular. I hate Conrad Werner. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
8: but it's because of, it's because there are so many other people on the team that just loved his yeah. subplot and stuff like that. I, I was like, can we, can we cut Conrad Werner? No. No, I refuse to cut Conrad Werner. All right. I'm not going to die on a hill for Conrad. And then, you know, I admit ME2. Can we cut Conrad Werner? No, because I have this awesome thing I want to do with him. ME3. Sure, go ahead. Just do Let's he's been two games. Let's just let's put him in there and give him his due. So, ultimately, that's because of, the, you know, that's that's why I like making games is because there's guys who are just passionate about stuff from left field. That you just don't know you don't know that they're going to care about and you're like, "Okay, if you care about it, then I know there're about 200,000 other people that are going to really love that." So, go do it. So,
4: how about uh how about a favorite bug uh that got fixed that nobody knows about, so this is a, a chance to sort of peek behind the curtains of uh the development of mass one two, or three uh so yeah I don't know if I should tell them. well okay yeah. so
8: I was at home near the end of mass Effect three and I was playing the entire end game i was I was letting my <laughs> wife see the end game like you know the emotional whatever, and that's you know the credit's rolling uh. The credits are there for our, our wives and moms and dads, so you know we're watching the credits, and at the end there's that scene with the the, the grandfather and, and the granddaughter, and it fades to black, and then there's like a gunshot <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, my, 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 my wife just like Tell she me just tried, story. She just she just kills herself laughing, and it's just like, I, I assume that's not how that's supposed to end. And it's like, no, no, that's, uh, I'll probably have to go back in and talk to the guys
5: about that. Du- Dusty can tell you why it was there. Well, no, it, yeah, what well, it took us a while to fix that. Yeah, the last thing you do as a player, uh, before all of the cinematics that happen, is, you know, you, you, you can shoot with your gun. So the moment the cinematics start, then everything kind of freezes, and the game's in pause, and it's playing all the cinematics and such, but there's this... Audio cue, it's City queued in up, sitting there ready to go, and then at the very last, it, it, it releases it again. So that gunshot rings out, it's Shepard's last gunshot, right after. <laughs> tell me another
4: story. And So like, last, line, isn't the last line something like "Go to sleep, Thatcher"?
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, tell me no, another story. It, it's like it's the
8: line segues yeah. right into the gunshot yeah. perfectly <laughs> like, to give you a, a pretty uh, Scorsese ending <laughs> to that whole thing. So. <laughs> We fixed that. That was <laughs> yeah. that one. That one was a critical bug that we uh, let's, must must fix before ship. So
3: <laughs> we got uh, so on, on Mass Effect One. I got a bug, um, and it was flagged as a TCR, and, and a TCR is basically it stops certification. So it's like your game crashes, or you know, it's it's a real. So if you get a TCR bug, that jumps to the top of your list, and that is drop everything and fix it. And you don't go home until it's fixed. So I was like, oh man, what's going on? So I opened it up. And it was the it was the skinning on a few uh, uh, how to put this it was the skinning on a few types of armor the shepherd wears that when he bends down low enough it gives an un- like his his cod piece gives an unflattering silhouette <laughs> so <laughs> I got this bug and, and it's like what's going on this is totally crazy and, and uh, so we had to immediately knock it over to this the, the skinning guy and we still talk about that bug we wish we had the the screenshots but because <laughs> they were comedy.
5: Mm. Yeah, so there's one bug in the Citadel DLC that I, I, I didn't want to fix. Uh, so there's a moment with, a, with Jacob where he has a character moment where you, you meet him, and then you go play some Chatterdeezo and you can win, um, and then Shepard kind of gloats a little bit, or you can, you can lose, and you know, Jacob's like, ah, I got gotcha. you. Um, but if you were FemShep and um, you'd romanced him, you had the opportunity before that to slap him and just say, get the hell out of here, what do you think, you're gonna have, you know, and you get your little bit of, you know, like, come on, you, you dump me between the games, and you get, you, but there was a bug where, and, and then it's supposed to end at that point, you don't go play Chatterdizo. So, what, what, what the bug was is that would play out, and then it would go and skip the Chatterdizo and go to the victory thing, so it'd be like, you know, Jacob, you, you know, goodbye, get out of here, and then you go, and that's how we do it, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> But I
6: had to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, let's see. During uh, the, the genophage missions in, in Mass Effect 3, um, there were a ton of – it's 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 a lot of conditionals we're checking to see who's alive. So in that, it could be Rex or Reeve, Morden or Paddock. Um, and there was a period there where throughout all of the Tuchanka the mission where you're curing the genophage, those were all off and wrong. So – you're talking to Rex one minute, next scene Reeve shows up, next scene Morden's alive, then the next scene Paddock's alive. So there was just this whole comedy of errors throughout that where everyone who was alive was back to life for about a line of dialogue and then they were dead again. <laughs> um, and I think there was a period where if you shot Morden, um, you're very sad and, and, and it's terrible and you're watching him die there and then he's back alive up at top. And <laughs> so we mm-hmm. were constantly struggling uh, with those conditionals. Then I remember throughout the game, occasionally getting bugs from QA. They weren't. They thought they were bugs. It was just this line is not funny. I mean, the line you wrote is just dumb. <laughs> so we'd occasionally get those bugs, uh, which you know we would just will not fix as an option that we have. So not going to rewrite that. Sorry. <laughs>
7: Next question, please. Uh, there, uh, there,
4: there's got to be some, uh, some sort of behind-the-scenes at Caden. Remember the one time on the Citadel when we... Uh, <laughs> I, I know uh, there, there was a really good bug in the Italian version. of uh, It was Emmy 3, and uh, it was uh, male Shepard and Caden sitting down uh, on the couch for, like, serious talk time. And, and it, it was this sort of, like, sashay-in kind of moment, and Shepard just, like, sits down on the couch and is like... All right, let's get down to business. Here. <laughs> and uh, uh, and he'd give this sort of impassioned speech about, well, you know, Caden, I've always uh, there are these feelings that uh, that harbor deep within my uh, my soul and my body. Uh, <laughs> for you, and <laughs> for whatever reason, Caden's line just wouldn't play. We we uh, we uh, <laughs> we tried so hard to uh, to get it. And we eventually got the the line to play, but Caden would just sort of sit there, just. <laughs> Stone still, just unblinking, just. <laughs> and then would cut back to Shepard like, as if nothing had happened. And he would just. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> <funny>. So uh, <laughs> that, that could be uh, the one. <laughs> How about favorite DLC? This will, this will be the last one before we uh, turn it over to you guys in the audience. But uh, favorite DLC and uh, favorite piece of DLC and why?
8: So my favorite piece of DLC, um, I know that people are going to say the Citadel and talk about that, so what I'm going to say is I'm going to say the, uh, the Earth multiplayer pack. Yes. Um, I really, really, I, I gave those the guys who worked on that some very specific you know, direction on what I was looking for, and it was something that I had wanted to do even like six months before ship. I wanted to make sure that um, we did a pack, with a bunch of other n7 characters and you know maps set on earth and stuff like that and those guys did i thought an amazing job you know putting putting the gameplay into those characters and stuff like that so it's still to this day my the dlc that i'm the proudest proudest of from a um sort of team working on their own uh standpoint and the citadel being the other one uh, immensely proud of the work done on that so
3: yeah, I mean, each. Uh, what's fun about DLC is that um, we can kind of do like, a lot of different types of things. Um, you can do something like the Citadel or or, uh, or, or Leviathan, which is a little bit more lore oriented. But I think I think my favorite though uh, was uh, Lair of the Shadow Broker, and I think that the one that I and, and the reason for that is it's got one of the great kind of world introductions that that we've that we've done. A guy named Tony took care of that one. Um, and it's when you arrive at the broker sh- ship. Like, you pull up alongside it, and it's, and it's traveling along sort of the terminus. And it was this really crazy idea where the sun was really baking its backside, and it had all these crazy panels and shielding, and, uh, um, and the shuttle just kind of pulls up alongside and you jump out. I thought that was a great, it was a great design and, and really well executed. I, I like that uh, DLC a lot. Yeah.
5: So the Citadel DLC is probably my favorite, but the one I have more, the most fun on uh, was Bring Down the Sky. Because uh, that was like our first, and we were like really figuring stuff out. And like Paris said, you get to play with different things. There's one thing that, that unfortunately we couldn't get to you guys, uh, but we, we, we played with the idea that since it's on an asteroid having low gravity, and, and the Mako was physics based, so it turned out you could you could do the jet the jet push up, and in low gravity you could, you before you started falling you could do it again. You could do it again. You do it again, and you spend all this time like like flying in the Mako above, watching the skybox appear and stuff like that, and uh, and it was and it was hilarious. But it, yeah, we couldn't do it because then it also made it harder to drive on the on the planet. And you know the Mako is so easy to drive; it's so well designed. And it's like, oh yeah, I have no problem. I need I need some more difficulty there on the, the, the Mako, but but yeah, that was that, that was that was That's the way
8: back machine there. We had the same issue on. Uh, Ilos, you could actually get that little that area where you land on Ilos. You could, if you lift it up a bit, you could get out of that little box you were in. You could actually drive the, the vehicle all the way through Ilos almost and take out everybody in that
6: level. <laughs> <laughs> it made it really made it
8: somewhat trivial. So,
6: uh, I'd have to go with the Citadel DLC, um, mostly because the making that was so much fun as writers. Uh, we would sit in review meetings and just it was just laughing all the time. We if you've played the party. It was, it was a chance to find out what all the other writers had been writing and all the jokes that they'd been putting into the party. Um, every writer was responsible for their henchman or their squad mate's own character scene. Um, and that was just a joy to just see what everyone had come up with. I remember when uh, Zaid has a thing with a claw machine that, that Kathleen wrote. And I just, the first time, we, we wasn't even in the game. We were just reading the script, but I already knew this is going to be brilliant. Um, and it was just like that, day after day, week after week, finding all this amazing stuff everyone was coming up with, and it was just a lot of fun, and I I knew I think this was going to connect with the fans, and I'm glad to see that it did.
7: Okay, I actually have a really cool thing, and I got a permission to be able to actually put this out, but you are going to be the first people to hear this, actually, so John and Casey said I could put this out, so... um, when we record, uh, what happens is we're in a room all by ourselves, right? We're basically, you know, locked in a double bulletproof glass, you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway, a Panavision. And um, uh used to be in the old days in Mass Effect 1. I think in 2, they would give you pages, and you'd get a stack, and you would just kind of, you know, we'd drop them on the floor as you'd go. And now it's sort of a large sort of iPad-type device, and what happens is the lines come up, and you basically it's all automated, in other words, so um and it's all electronic, so we were recording uh, some of the citadel, uh the final goodbye, and um a slide came up, which was essentially the direction to the actors, and I saw it, and I went, Oh shit, this is intense, and I took a picture of it, and uh i, I you know. Uh, So you know I don't put this stuff out, and obviously we all are very protective of this being done, you know, um, in your best interest, you know, uh, put out uh, sort of in in good time. But um, I've gotten permission from the highest um, that I can put this out. I'm going to put it on Twitter, but this is what it says. This is the situation synopsis. So it's Citadel Final Goodbye C. This is the final scene of the DLC and the last scene of the Mass Effect trilogy forever. This is the big goodbye to the fans, letting them know that we're moving on after this. Shepard's story is officially done with this scene. In the scene, Shepard is standing outside the Normandy at the docking station. His entire crew is with him, all looking at their famous ship. The place they've called home. It's a warm scene full of nostalgia. This will one day be considered the good old days. Shepard has a moment with his her love interest reflecting on good times before everyone peels off and boards the Normandy except Shepard, who lingers a moment for one last line of dialogue that he, she, will ever utter in the game. This man wrote that. (laughs) But it was... You know, yesterday we were at that much larger panel With a, uh, you know, at the very end everyone sort of stood up and spontaneously applauded these extraordinary men and women who've made this game. And, you know, I, 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 I'm so grateful to be a part of it, truly. Um, but, you know, uh, in a way through one and two and three, you know, we've all been through so much, right? And, and I think, you know, there was a great sadness expressed by the fans about the ending of the game. There's a great sadness on this side too, you know, this has been a powerful journey and I and I I was really touched by that moment just because of all of us kind of feeling this sense of like wow, why we've had this shared experience. And um anyway, I I'll, I'll put this out on Twitter so you can all see it, but but I um you know, I think I think whatever happens as they go forward with Mass Effect and whatever else that they and their extraordinary minds and all that all that Horsepower that they have there at Bioware. Um, uh, you know, this is a this was a this was a special thing that we all shared, and uh, you know, it's uh, extraordinary to be a part of it.
4: Well wow. that's that's. Just, I, I I don't think that there's a better send off than that. So thank you. <laughs> So, with that, let's, uh, let's turn it over to the fans. How's it going? Does anybody have any questions? And before I, I pass the mic over to you, i got to uh, just reiterate that you really got to eat the mic if you want to be heard. So, uh, we'll uh, start over in the center right here. Oh, just like that. Boom. You know what that's called? Professionalism.
2: <laughs>
4: uh, Oh, right here. He's, he's got his hand up. Uh, yep. Hi. I was just wondering, who, who is your favorite and least favorite in part, um, companion in, in all the games?
8: My least favorite companion. Uh, it depends on the game, because I'm very progression power based. Uh, in ME One, my least favorite henchman as a as a companion was Ashley just because I found that her skill set was redundant to mine. In two, it was Tally. And uh, th- three, it was James. Again, just because of the redundant skill set. I love their characters. I like to go to talk to them, but I didn't ever take them out. And I got called out on that in the Citadel, right? Or they go, well, I never get to you know, I never get to go to it. So, uh, well, uh, dig. But um, my favorite was Rex in ME 1, uh, Miranda in ME 2. And in ME3, it was uh, Tally. Tally was actually uh, Tally and Garrus.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe, so I'd probably say that, so my le- actually, so here's, here's what I'd say. is My least favorite is, is Tally from ME1. Um, I just, yeah, it didn't really click. Uh, but I think one of my favorites, though, is, like, Tally from ME3. Uh, and I think because they kind of, yeah, the writers could have won me over with where they were going with that character. I think uh, to begin with, I didn't quite see it and then in me 2 with the flotilla stuff and then where Emmy 3, it all comes together. Um, I, I really enjoyed her there in her story arc.
5: So, was the question who you take with you in Squad or just in general? Was, just who you like the most. Oh. Just like the Ah, oh, that, so, that is so hard. Because um, yeah, there's so many that I, that I love. The one I think that, that kind of stands out is kind of maybe not everyone agrees with is Samara. I really loved uh, her backstory, um, and she seemed like the the equal of Shepard. It felt like she had a trilogy of games already behind her uh, before she ever met Shepard. It's like, um, and yeah, the whole thing. And then for least favorite, oh, that's even harder to then say because I spent so much time over the years with all of them, and they're they're all so so good. Um, so the the odd answer might be Edie, even though. In Me3, she was—I took her all the time, uh, so I loved her. But if you had to say, okay, if you, you know, all, all that love, which is the one? Eh, maybe uh, I'll go with that, just I have to. I don't want
6: to cop out and not give an answer. <laughs> um, that's hard. I guess well, let's see. In three, I, I had the honor of writing Garrison Javik. So as much as I enjoyed them, I, I won't include them here. Um, outside of that, I really enjoyed Morton in two. Had just had a ball. I loved with. Patrick wrote Morton in, in 2. thought he was hilarious, funny, deep, all at the same time. Um, and least favorite, probably Jacob. I don't know that I ever talked to Jacob all that much. <laughs> <laughs>
7: Sorry. <laughs> uh, this kind of came up in the romance panel that we did before this, but someone ash- asked, asked me yesterday um, if when I play the game, do I play with myself? <laughs> I told him it was a personal question.
4: <laughs> All right, we've got some uh, terrorists over here from the uh, Terraformer.
0: Oh. <laughs>
2: so, out of the uh, all the games in the Mass Effect trilogy, which one would you say you were able to implement all of your ideas and get like well, like get like a good chunk of your ideas into the like final product and like not let some of your favorite ones go?
8: Well, 3. Cuz 3 was one we were figuring out the engine, 2 we were fixing what we had Messed up fig- figuring out the engine. <laughs> and then <laughs> three, we actually we got, you know, there wasn't really any idea. So the idea of um, uh, uh, power combos in three, I wanted that in two. And I had to leave it on the floor because we didn't have enough time, uh, enough bandwidth. So three was really the game where my team brought me a lot of really great ideas. Combat rolling was something that we had not planned to put into the game. But one of the combat designers brought it and said, you know, what if I did this? You know, after my my uh, shock and horror that he had implemented an entire animation-driven gameplay system in a day. Uh, but I was like, wow, you implemented that in a day. That's awesome. So, you know, and that's, that went into the game. But that was, the whole game was like that. It was just people bringing me amazing ideas. And I was like, wow, you can do that? That's that's really cheap. All right, let's put that in. That's a great idea. Um You know, and at that point, I felt like a lot of my good ideas were getting in as well. But definitely three, because we had the time, we had the we had a team that was five years experience minimum, with with the engine, so we we could do things really easily and smartly and and cheaply.
3: Yeah, I mean, for me, it was uh, like I'd say two and three equally. Mass Effect One was just the land of the land of compromises, and um, um, and I mean, and a lot of the ideas that we kind of uh, didn't get through in, in one would appear in um, uh, two and three like for example uh we had a great uh, level in, in mass effect one it was the lava planet well, i don't remember the actual name of Theorem. it yeah there yeah so the uh, so that one had a whole story of, of criminals and, and oh no
8: and, yeah okay that was calliston Oh Caliston, so, oh yeah, yeah. So, but, yeah. but a lot
3: of that stuff ended up, and a lot of that stuff, some, some of that stuff ended up in, uh, in Omega, like some of those ideas. Some of those ideas, yeah. Ended, yeah,
8: We had a whole, yeah. To just give you the backstory on that, we had a writer who wrote a forty thousand word planet called Caliston in Mass Effect One that was going to be in the center of the game with uh, those other planets, and uh, it had some critical issues when we went to start doing it, and Casey made the hard decision, um, you know, we had to cut something, and he. Chose Caliston, but we yeah. kept the back end of Caliston, which was the was the section where you go and you find Liara and stuff like that. So
3: I went, but it was a it was a planet of criminals and, and yeah. So a lot of that kind of germinated and came through in Omega in a better way. Oh yeah, well in a much better way. Because yeah. a funny story is um, uh, over the last couple of months, one thing I've been doing is is just kind of um, itemizing and cataloging cataloging all of our um, all, I mean all of our scenes, all of our assets for kind of archiving. And uh, I came across all of the the that because some of those uh, um, cinematics had been not done to completion but done to an okay amount and I was looking through some of them, and uh, uh, they were not good like I'm glad that we did not continue on with that planet because it was it was a, it was a funny thing because we hadn't figured out how to um, uh, tell a story from like like tell Shepherd's story. Because a lot of the scenes, what they ended up being was this kind of cool thing happening, or it wasn't. It was an okay thing happening with some criminals, and Shepard would kind of be lurking in the background, and he'd kind of peek in and then kind of peek out again. And, it, and, and the reason, and the reason for that is because that that story had not been written for Shepard. It was a story, and Shepard kind of watched it from the outside, so it felt really awkward. Um,
8: Casey said something to me when he, when we cut that that I've I've parroted for the next eight years, which is it's not about. How much work you've done on something—it's about how much work is left. Yeah. And there was a lot of work left on that, yeah. vis- you know, comparatively to other planets that we were working on. So,
3: but uh, but it, I mean, it was yeah. a good cut. Well, yeah, because I would—it would have been disappointing had we put that planet in and then not been able to do some of those ideas better in Omega. You know, so yeah. um, to get back to your original point, um, I think Mass Effect Two and Three for me was uh, uh, was a far more kind of creatively satisfying experience than Mass Effect One.
4: And I think uh, Calliston was even referenced in the Microsoft trailer yeah. uh, as well that's, that's played yeah. in the Attract movie. It's like, you know, Shepard and Ashley and Garris are, are in the Normandy, and uh, you got the distress call on Novaria, and Shepard goes, Oh, yeah. the And yeah. then, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. oh, people are dying. And he silences the thing, and then the computer comes on and goes, Setting course yeah. for Calliston. Yeah. yeah.
8: yeah, That was the original name for uh, Therum, And it's why we kind of put it back you can see appeared like as a minor sort of little planet you could go to. Just sort of as a... Sorry, (laughs) (laughs) Calston.
5: Sorry, Dusty, I cut you off. No problem. Yeah, for me personally, Mass Effect 3 by far filled that in. But most, on Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2, I was a lead as well as a content developer. So half my time was split. But then for Mass Effect 3, it was just pure um, work on the Normandy. So I really got to kind of dive in and do the things that I wanted to do. And I know if it feels that way, but the Mass Effect 3 Normandy was like over twice as much work to, to make as uh, Mass Effect 2. Um, but, at, but then if you said, oh, did you get everything in? It's like, oh, no. I would, yeah. would have wanted to put in so much more. I think you know, if, if there was, you know, if schedules would go to infinity, we would fill it up. <laughs> it's like we just keep working work and working. we never ship a game. But uh, you know, it's always that hard, hard point when you, you're getting at the end and you're really saying, okay, now what can we get into high quality and what can't make it? That's always a really
6: rough time. Uh, Well, I had the the fortune of coming to Bioware for Mass Effect Three, so I avoided all. I'd hear all these nightmare stories, especially about Mass Effect One, and just thank God I didn't work on that. Instead, I got to play it and have fun like everyone else. Um, So for Three, I got to say I was very fortunate as well that uh, most everything I wanted to do, I was able to do in some fashion. uh, You know, the team supported it. We were able to pull off some big, ambitious stuff. Um, There's always the little things you you plan for, you wish you could have had. Uh, When you say goodbye to Garrus on Earth, I wrote this scene, um, the sense that this might be the last you see of Garrus. And there was this bit that we planned with my senior designer, but at the end of the day she didn't have the time, where as you walk away, Garrus was going to have got all the Turians there in formation to salute you and send you off with this nice sort of funny um, last goodbye. But that was just one of those things. If we just had, like, another week, we could have gotten it in, but we didn't. But, you know, I think it turned out pretty well.
7: It's not my question, but <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> last I checked, one, two, and three are still working. So it's
0: <laughs> pretty fantastic.
7: <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I think we got a question over here for, oh, pardon.:
0: That's all right. Um, I kind of have the converse of that question. There are some things that have saved states like Fist, like the necklace you can get from the consort on the Citadel that, The safe states carry over, but nothing really ends up happening. What was the one thing that you wish you could have worked on that carried over but didn't ever pan out?
3: Well, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, so you, I'll, I'll, you, you go because go go, I got to think can, about this. Yeah, I I'll, think. I'll go with Fist. I would have loved to seen Fist a, a little bit more, and I didn't. There's a moment where you find him
8: on, I think, Purgatory. Yeah. And then he, he goes, oh, you, you know, life. like, it's Oh God, that God, that God that it's shepherd. shepherd! And then after I think life, yeah. he flees back to the Citadel and he lives in yeah. the in the air ducts with the keepers. Oh, uh,
3: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. There you go. i miss
5: Yeah, the story of Keeper Twenty. That's the that's the one I wanted. to the twenty. The twenty first keeper. That's, mean
2: that's been a running joke, the <laughs> running joke for the entire trilogy.
8: I always Jeez. joke with Dusty that the 21st Keeper is out on the wing of the Destiny Ascension.
2: You know, I asked QA, the are they easy get, to find? The only way to get all
8: 21 is, is like click. You know, you get, them, get that little pixel out on the Destiny Ascension cleaning the window. Um, you know, that's a hard question because I'll give the background to why we carry those things over. You know, we, we faced a point in ME1 and 2 between Emmy 1 and 2 where, you know, somebody came to me one day and said, well, okay, so which plot states do you want to carry over from 1 to 2? And I went, well, what do you mean? Well, we're not going to carry them all over. We're only going to pick, like, 20. And I went, well, how are we supposed to know going into the second game? And then then you're telling me, like, you know, two years from now when we start the third game that I'm not going to want to know about Fist. I'm not going to want to know, you know, how you treated Conrad Werner, right? Um... And so I basically said they all got to carry over, you know. And the programmer kind of—he was like the blood drained from his face. He's like, "Well, we didn't set it up that way." And I went, "Well, you better figure out how to set it up that way, right? You know, it's 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 really important." You know, I gave that background about the players and stuff. So for me, all every single choice—that's why I can't really pick because ultimately the choices are there as a creative backdrop for the writers and the level designers to produce. To, to be able to go and do all that content that I don't know about, right? Like, there's moments in the game where literally I play and I, what? We did this? And it's because there's guys just going, I want to do, this is the part I'm passionate about. And there's guys on the boards that keep talking about this little minor character, like like refund guy.
4: Like we got like, we got
8: plot states for refund guy, right? And I'm like, "Really? We're giving refund guy his due?" Like, okay, anyways. But but that's the kind of thing, you know, where you fight for those variables and you and you make sure that they carry it over all the way. And it was and I'll be honest, the programmers that did that were pretty heroic, like. They had to do some pretty insane work to get that to go because we changed publishers between one and two. And, and the backstory there is that, you know, we said, okay, well, we don't have to worry about the variables because we're going to be, it's a Microsoft game, and blam, oh, wait, now it's not. So they actually had to do some really, like a guy spent one year of his life making sure that those plot states could carry over from one to two because of the switch in publishers. You know, like really, really heroic work on the part of the engineers to make that happen, like a lot of work. Yeah, we're you know. sweating it for a while. There. So it was touch and go for,
5: there, for a bit. Now I do have one that I would have loved to see more of is, I don't know if you remember the plot I Remember Me in M E 1, and there's the, the girl that you kind of talk off the ledge or not. Oh, yeah. I, I would have oh, loved, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, it's one of my favorite parts of the game, and I would have loved to have seen what happened to her uh, more. So.
6: Yeah, for me, having come to three, I didn't really have any plots out there in one and two that I needed to pay off. I do wish, not so much a plot state, but we were always trying to find a way to, to work the keepers in a little more. Um, Even on Citadel DLC at one point the archive mission I wrote was going to potentially involve keepers but we could just never quite fit them in 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 a good way other than wouldn't it be cool to shoot keepers just for the hell of it. (laughs) Um, But that didn't turn out to be the most rewarding gameplay. So so not so much a plot state I guess as as an idea that that I wish we'd had a little more time with. I think the reason why I really
8: don't have one is because the guys are so keen to do that kind of oddball stuff is whenever I I kind of off-the-cuff mention that, you know, I, what I'd like to see in the Citadel, I'd like to, at some point for you to be able to find the Ark of the Covenant in the Citadel archives. You know, and that's just, that's just an off-the-cuff comment I made, and then I walked away, and then two weeks later, Dave's like, okay, I got it in. I'm like, well, what do you mean you got it in? Well, you said you wanted the Ark of the Covenant, so I got it, you know. And I'm like, awesome, that's great, right? Um, so, you know, they tend to, like, they tend to, you know, I don't think people are listening, but then they're like, yeah, okay,
6: that's actually... Oh, they're funded. listening. Yeah. That as soon as you said that that weekend our artist on that level got sick and what did he do at home but he made the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> just for help, <laughs> modeled it and everything. So had it ready to go on Monday. So who's found that? I didn't even know it existed. She's tough.
8: She She's tough. She's, She's in, in the Archive. She's in there somewhere, it? Start looking.
6: It's in the archives.
8: Citadel Archives.
6: They
0: give
6: you a Yep. Time Now you just got to figure out where to stand to see it. Yeah. It's tough oh. to
8: find. It's it's a it's a huge yeah. It's an Easter egg, so. Because we really needed a
7: reason
4: to play that again. <laughs> Topman. I uh, think we got a question from uh, Mass Effect super fan Carissa Barrows.
1: Hey. actually I'm losing my voice. I'm sorry again. Especially since Raphael just made me cry a minute ago. It's even worse than it was. I um, know. <laughs> But I I don't really have a question, but I haven't really had an opportunity to stand in front of all of you and just say thank you for what you guys have done with these games. A lot of people don't know because I am such kind of a super fan, it's kind of ridiculous. I didn't come into these games until three. Three was the first one that I played, and then I went back and I bought them and I marathon played them all. Um, But it's just, it's literally changed my entire life and my outlook on life just because of what you guys have done with these games. I think you guys deserve a lot more thanks than you get and I want to make sure that I try it and convey that to the best of my ability with my voice being crap. So, you guys Well, thank you very much. You guys you, are amazing.
8: That means a lot. You're amazing. Thank, thank you. you. So Every every time we start a project, you know, we know that we're in for a 2 to 4 year Journey to get that project done, and Casey's philosophy on that has always been very, very clear. That he says, if we're going to spend two years of our life working on something, it should be something that we that we feel was worth it at the end of the day. You know, and I've spent eleven years um, working on the Mass Effect trilogy, from the from day one to day last. It's been eleven years for me. That's a quarter of my life, and so. I absolutely feel that that time was was well spent and was worth it and I, and I appreciate this is the first time i 've ever been to a con actually to meet you guys um, in in that time um, and you know what it's been a really great experience meeting you guys and, and getting that feedback in person versus you know sort of externally through through other people so thank you.
4: we got a little bit of time left. Uh, Does anybody have any questions? Uh,
3: So I'm not going to say anything touchy-feely, I guess, (laughs) so I'm
8: sorry. Favorite Uh, gun?
3: (laughs) Um, uh, I just actually kind of wanted to ask you guys about your background. Um, How did you guys get started in this amazing project? Um, I know you were on Conan O'Brien's show. (laughs) Uh, but I just kind of wanted to know how you guys got into what you're doing, and kind of just give me a. Basic how did we background. get?
8: How did we be, come to be on Mass Effect, or get Other, in, go to come to Bioware?
3: Uh, either or both.
8: Okay. Pick well, or both. I won't. I won't describe the sucky journey leading up to me coming to Bioware. But I started Bioware. I was actually the uh, systems designer for Neverwinter Nights. Um, I worked on that. I actually was. I did um, all the spells for Neverwinter. I did the AI. That five thousand line AI script. That's why my name's kind of plastered all over that, all over the scripts in there. Um, and I ended up doing uh, Luskin for ne- for Neverwinter. Uh, after that, I was uh, politely voluntold by my boss that he would like me to go on to be the the lead uh, assistant technical designer for KotOR, uh, which was awesome because I got to work with Casey and Derek and and uh, David Faulkner. Um, and then after that, I was made lead designer for the Mass Effect trilogy. So um i've been very lucky that's straight up luck i'm uh you know right time right place and uh a lot of crunch <laughs> so
3: and i just I, I came out of school um right into me one so not interesting <laughs> <laughs>
5: um so before bioware i used to be a, a software engineer um in silicon valley and um I found myself in a job that had really good pay, and the hours weren't bad, and the stress was really low. And I was like, you know, on the surface, like, wow, this should be a dream job. But I, I, I woke up every morning um, just – I didn't want to go into work. And I knew that was always a gauge that if, if you continuously wake up in the morning, you don't want to go into work. You, you spend too much time there. And I'm like, what I love is Games. I, I want to design games. I always had the plan of, like, oh, I'll do a startup and I'll get a lot of money and I'll start my own game company. And it's like, no, 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 that's, that's not happening. Um, so I, I quit my job. My, my wife is kind of in a similar situation. When she's awesome. We quit our quit her job, sold our house. I went full time, just kind of self training on on design. There's the Neverwinter Nights tool set. Uh, so that's what I used to start building modules and, and practicing. And then I saw, um, you know, a job listing from Bioware where it didn't say, hey, you need four years of experience. It just said, make a module submission. I'm like, okay. So I cranked in, took a couple of weeks, and just cranked out a, a module. And it turned out there's a nice bit of luck that I, I did some cinematics in that module in the Neverwinter Nights tool set, and, and BioWare was looking for cinematic designers. It was just starting to kind of have that as a, as a field. We are exploring that. So I got hired in. I was hired in from Aspect 1, then got dragged off to... To Jade Empire for a while and kind of learned that was just great. I got to, you know, close a project and see the craziness of that and then came back to anyone. But then you brought me back as a technical designer instead of a cinematic designer. I think there, I did some technical work <laughs> in Jade Empire. So I switched it and that's my story.
6: Uh, I guess for me, I went to uh, school with, got a degree in film production and screenwriting. Spent a number of years actually knocking on doors in Hollywood and meeting various degrees of success and frustration and the more frustration in Hollywood I would feel that I'd feel, just games were a, a real passion of mine as well. So that was my time off from trying to make it in Hollywood. And somewhere in there I, I played Knights of the Old Republic and, and I just remember sitting up going, wow, storytelling in games has just hit this new level. Uh, totally impressed with what Bioware had done on that game. So when Mass Effect 1 came out, I ran out and bought that and just loved that game. Fell in love with the universe, everything about it. Um, and then somewhere along the line, there was a, a job opening. By where I was hiring for a writer, and I took the, uh, every writer, every applicant takes a writing test, like what Dusty said, and the every winner tool set. Um, sent that off, and uh, it clicked. I guess it worked for people. They liked it. And well,
8: uh, I, actually, I actually talked with the person that did the review of John's submission recently, and she said, you know, I read through John's submission, and it was fine. I didn't have any feedback on it, but I had to give him feedback to see if he would take feedback. So I I made him make it worse <laughs> to, see if, to, see, to see if he would take the feedback and implement it. <laughs> <You> know. <laughs> Did not I thought that. that was funny. Yeah, no, she said she's like, I. There's nothing wrong with this. It's, it's good, but I got to make sure he's not a, you know, not a prima donna. He's gonna take, he's gonna take feedback well, and you've made made it worse.
6: And uh... all right, I'm glad I did. <laughs> and then we hired him. There you go. Yeah, and there you go. And uh, the first thing I did was then work on Overlord. It was, was my first job at Bioware.
7: I, uh, you know, came to Mass Effect kind of the old-fashioned way, as they say. I, I auditioned for it. Um, really, it's kind of one of those sort of miraculous things. I mean, what I can say is that the, uh, in, a, in an industry, clearly, that's a littered with, you know, with a lot of voice actors who have no voices anymore because all they do is scream. I mean, literally, you feel like you, you leave those sessions and you feel like your voice is hamburger and you, and you can't talk for about three days afterwards. Um, um, this was sort of a, a very distinct kind of a character-based and much more filmic approach to, um, to, to voice acting. And, and you know, and, and they understood that you didn't have to be screaming and yelling and killing every single second in order to make it interesting, that actually you could base things on relationships and, and intimate moments and you could actually sort of build tension in, in a whole bunch of different ways. And and they've done that, again, through the fine work of, of someone like John and then all these other incredible gentlemen and then about a zillion other people that's sitting behind them um, essentially to, to – you know collectively create an experience um you know obviously the voice that then is what we connect to has some value but i i i really do you know we are (laughs) you know we're at the very sort of top of the triangle in a way but but the triangle is just enormous underneath us and and uh so you know, I'm again, as I say, I'm so grateful to have sort of stumbled in in a way to them saying, Yeah, he's got something that's right for this. I mean, I'd done some other Bioware games, but this was, um, this is clearly something, you know, I think we'll all remember for a long, long time. It's, been, it's very special.
4: All righty, folks, I think we've got time for just two more questions, and uh, we've got one here. So we're actively looking for the last question for the last panel for the Mass Effect trilogy. So, uh, you know, Make it a good one. No. <laughs>
7: There's one right here. Um, it, uh,
8: <laughs> Put up your hands, guys. Uh, Put them uh, up high. <laughs> <laughs> it's middle school. Put it up. Put them up. <laughs> Put them up. Uh, on, on the topic of
2: uh, glitches and bugs, um, I don't know if you guys are aware, but the final patch you released for the Mass Effect 3 franchise introduced cool. some some uh, <laughs> some pretty pretty gnarly glitches. I mean, they're 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 funny, but they're pretty. Just the Im- eye looks and <laughs> the pretty immersion breaking. Uh, okay, like the scene before the service station. If you're when your love interest comes up, uh, like Cade and, and Ashley, their eyes will like roll back into. Oh, their sorry, Caden.
6: You got to go back into the booth and
7: yeah, that that is
8: that is a pro that is a byproduct of uh, of. Uh, Ten million lines of code. it's
7: my fault actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> if I'd only done okay. it better, I'm
8: so right. sorry. I'll have a QA guy get in, get on that when I get home.
2: I guess I was just hoping it was some kind of last patch, maybe. If it's uh, n-
8: not that I'm aware of, but I mean, we're always assessing the uh, the quality of what we release, and if there's like serious damaging issues. Um, you know, well, that's something that 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 is production's job to go through that and assess. You know, whether they need to come back to the content creators and and uh, we need to fix stuff. So
6: thank you.
2: Uh, now that Shepard's story is finally over, do you have anything planned for Mass Effect Four or anything new that's coming out?
8: Well, Mass Effect Four has been announced. Yeah. Um, anything? Full that, stop. Anything? <laughs> <laughs>
2: anything behind the scenes you could tell us?
8: Uh, I can tell you that I'm playing the game in my head right now.
2: <laughs> well, I, that's
8: that's part of the process is me playing the game. From from it's
6: awesome. <laughs> awesome.
8: I am loving the hell out of this game already.
6: <laughs> yeah, that is fun. Every every couple days, we'll hear what game we're making from Preston. Hey, last night in my head, this is what I did. Oh, cool. <laughs>
0: So while we all we all love the single player version, and the single player has been fantastic. I just wanted to say thank you very much for the multiplayer aspect because that has been a great add-on to the universe. Because you feel like, well, I, you know, personally, I've never done multiplayer online gaming before in my life. This has been fantastic. I feel like I'm absorbed into the universe and into the world, and I can expand into other races and species and try them out. And, you know, it feels yeah. different.
8: Well, we actually wanted we wanted ma- multiplayer from in the first Mass Effect. And, and we didn't put it in specifically because we didn't feel there was a good enough context uh, around which multiplayer worked. Obviously, Galactic War gives you a better context for why. There's awesome guys running around doing awesome stuff. But, um, but thank you very much. The guys who worked on that worked incredibly hard. The teams in Edmonton and Montreal who uh, worked on that product were very, very passionate about it. And to be fair, um, because we were playing multiplayer so much, it actually made the single player better. Because, um, you know, little things like being able to res henchmen, that's straight up, I, you know, like, I, I love doing this in multiplayer. Can we just, can we get that in as a feature into single player? And improvements in the way that, uh, you know, improvements to combat, improvements to powers, all of that stuff. Uh, because you could have guys playing multiplayer eight, nine, ten hours a day and just seeing where the combat was, could be improved. That is a lot of where those combat improvements come from. Um, I know people were kind of separating. I was like, well, multiplayer is going to take away from the single player. And, and really, the single player was the multiplayer. We set out to say that the only thing we're taking away from multiplayer is obviously full pause, which you can't, you know, you can't have in a multiplayer game. And so a lot of those improvements were driven by the multiplayer, not, not as a
4: separate product. So I'm glad you're enjoying it. Alrighty, and with that, we are uh, going to uh, move on to uh, signing here. But just before we do, I want to say thank you to Preston, Parish, Dusty, John, and Raphael But more importantly than that, thank you to everybody in this room and outside of this room for coming along with us. It has been an incredible ride, and uh, thank you for joining in with us. So Good give yourselves, thank, you. thank you very much. Thank you very much.
7: Hi, this is Raphael Sparge. You're listening to the Rated N.A. Podcast at nerdappropriate.com.
1: So that's it from the Bioware base, but we here at Nerdappropriate would like to thank Bioware for uh, allowing us to bring this content to you guys. Um, and if you are new to this site, uh, Ash, why don't you give them a little rundown of who we are and what, we're, what we've been up to.
2: So we are nerdappropriate.com and we do a podcast by the name of Rated N.A. Uh, And we're actually coming up on our big 100th episode. So we've been doing this for about uh, two and a half years. Uh, Do not listen to the early episodes, please. Uh, (laughs) They get better. They age like a fine wine or cheese.
0: You should absolutely take a look through our archives of different podcasts um, where we've had some amazing special guests from the Bioware universe. People like Patrick Weeks, uh, David Gator, Mike Gamble, Allie Hillis, Courtney Taylor, Jennifer Hale. It doesn't get any better than that. So um, we're super honored to have such amazing special guests and, of course, to
2: Bioware, as always. Absolutely. And that's not all. If you've been uh, listening to these podcasts, you've probably heard our theme song that starts and ends every podcast. And that theme song was composed by Jimmy Henson, who was uh, one of the composers on Mass Effect 2. Um, Definitely visit his band camp um big giant circles check out his website um plenty more mass effect music and other cool tunes um on big giant circles
1: so thanks for listening and of course uh if you are digging this content follow us at nerd appropriate or or follow bioware and let them know that you're digging the stuff that we're putting out uh and as always subscribe to the podcast and you can keep getting these wonderful little nuggets of joy in your uh your podcast feeds So thank you guys so much. Until next time. Bye. Thanks,
0: guys.